Jack Spirigo with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is Friday, December 14, 2012, and this is episode 1041 of the Survival Podcast. Uh, usually we, on Friday, 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 do listener calls. Uh, we're kind of cramming some work in uh, for some paperwork for the bank for the pending mortgage uh, on our property. No big deal. It's just going to take some time to put a few more things together for those folks. So uh, I have quite a few uh, interviews kind of uh, already done this week due to the way we had to stagger Stephen Harris out. And uh, so I'm going to play a great one for you today. This is with a gentleman named Mark Hamilton, who is really a cool guy, a great homesteader. Uh, full-time homesteader uh, that manages to do that through frugal living, uh, buying the right piece of property at the right time, and uh, running a micro-business. And I'll tell you what, I think you're going to really get a lot out of this interview, and I think you're really going to want to follow this guy's blog. He does a lot of really creative things. He's kind of one of the, you know, you know, kind of a homestead engineer types, it seems like. He's always tweaking something, always working on something, always trying to make it better. And I was kind of blown away with the content on his blog, and I think in a few moments you'll hear why. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, Sawtooth Tactical. All the things you need to live that tactical lifestyle. You'll find that stuff at Sawtooth Tactical, Magpaul Magazines, Maxpedition Bags, SOE Tactical Gear, and the awesome, hugely super manly titanium spork, and everything else you can think of. Check them out today, sawtac.com. Next up today, ready-made resources. You know, there's not a whole lot you can ask for from a company, but for that company to say, you know what, here's our name. Our name is what we do, and we do it every day. That's what ready-made resources does. They provide all the resources you need for your prepping, ready-made, ready-to-go, point-click buy, ship to you, lightning-fast uh, service, great pricing, and you know you can always count on them to take care of you for whatever your needs you may have. Check them out today. Ready-made resources has it all, and I do mean everything. 12-volt appliances for your you know, solar, wind, and battery backup projects that we were just talking about. How cool is that? Uh, they've got tactical gear. They've got long-term food supplies. They've got gardening equipment. You name it, ready-made has it, ready-made, and ready-to-go. Ready-made resources. Remember, the best way to find Sawtooth Tactical and ready-made resources, go to the survivalpodcast.com first, click on their banners in the right-hand margin, and you know you'll be dealing with an actual Survival Podcast sponsor that's been certified by my listener ad council and has my personal endorsement. Next up, remember, check out TSP Gear and TSP Copper. Really cool stuff. I don't know uh, the shipping timelines right now for Christmas. Uh, TSP Copper, you probably would get your copper. I'm not going to guarantee, but you probably would. TSP Gear, uh, depends on what you're ordering and whether we have it in stock yet or it's still uh, coming in on the first stock run. Uh, but if you get in touch with Kelly over there at the site, he'll let you know if uh, if it's going to happen or not. Uh, next up today, uh, remember to consider joining the Survival Podcast Member Support Brigade. You do that, you'll get exclusive content available only to members, and you'll get discounts from about 36 supporting vendors of the Member Support Brigade. Those discounts, if you're buying anything like the stuff we talk about all the time here today, will say uh, return your investment to you 100% and then some. Basically, it's a product that I built, designed it to pay for itself uh, by giving you discounts on things you loved and letting you support the show at about 18.3 cents an episode. Military Law Enforcement Peace Corps and First Responders, if you email me before you join with service discount in the subject line, tell me a little bit about yourself, who you are and what you're doing, or who you are and what you did if you're prior service, and I'll send you a special discount code on the Member Support Brigade to thank you for your service. And with that, I do have the uh, housekeeping wrapped up in record time. Other than real quick, I want to remind you guys, we are running the 13 Skills Blogging Contest. I will have a link in today's show notes about that. And uh, we're also, I want to remind you real quick about Liberty Forum. Liberty Forum, February 2013. I will be one of uh, one of the speakers up there. I'll be doing a, uh, a full out presentation uh, called The Prepared Libertarian. And I will also be doing two mini sessions on bug out bags. And you can win a VIP ticket and have dinner with me at one of the VIP tables uh, on Saturday. Or you can actually have dinner with me at the uh, speaking dinner on, on Friday night if you win the other one. Or you can at least win and get in. It's really simple. You donate 10 bucks to a charity of your choice, any charity of your choice, and you send some information over to the folks at Liberty Forum. They're going to draw three winners. So if you can get up to uh, New Hampshire and you want to help out a charity 
that you love, uh, check out the details of that contest as well. So we've got a 13 skills contest going for bloggers, and we've got the uh, Liberty Forum contest going for everybody. Somebody asked about the uh, 13 skills contest that I would do some something for people that aren't bloggers. That's coming next. It'll probably be right at January, and we roll the site out with an official hard launch. We're going to do something with based on your profile, skill selection, and how you're tracking your goals, something that's all about that. It doesn't require a blog, but I, it's easier to run one at a time than two at the same time. All right. With that, let's go ahead and get into our main topic today. Again, my guest is Mark Hamilton. Mark was born in Ohio. He did a six-year stint in the United States Navy. Uh, he's a copier repair person for over a decade. That's probably where he got the... Uh, The uh, engineering attitude, I think if you can repair copiers, you can fix just about it. I'd, I'd rather work on nuclear submarines, I think, than copiers. Uh, copiers are the, the, the mortal enemy of, uh, of mankind, in my experience. Anyway, he uh, went to film, uh, film school training and photography. Uh, he's part-time drifter, he describes himself as that. Uh, did some wedding videography. He did a lot of miscellaneous construction jobs. And uh, has been a substitute teacher. He's now a full-time homesteader and micro-business operator, and he's here to talk to us about all of that and more. Hey, Mark, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks for having me on. Hey, man, um, could you tell people just a little bit, like, how you kind of came to this whole homesteading thing? What's your background that? Just, you know, the two-minute elevator speech, I guess you'd call it. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm basically, I was a city guy. Uh, I'd just gotten laid off from a construction job, and I was sort of actually thinking about going to New York City for some additional training when I was visiting my uh, relatives in uh, Appalachia in Kentucky, and my mom actually said that I really should meet this woman, you know, and she basically fixed me up on a lunch date, and when I met my now wife Anna, she had this, like, you know, drive and passion to uh, grow her own food she had already had like a little piece of land but that's all she had and she needed some help doing it and I just sort of fell head over heels for her and her dream and uh and it just started you know piling up after that you know <clears throat> yeah definitely it's always amazing to me it almost seems like whenever there's a couple doing stuff like this one always seems to lead the other into it But as you guys set up your homestead and started to, to move forward with it, I think from you know your blog and all, one of the biggest things you had to contend with, and I've really gotten a lesson in this myself this year, is dealing with deer. Um, people think deer are these beautiful, yeah. majestic animals, right? They're like these giant brown rats that can ruin a day's work in five minutes. So what were some of the ways that you dealt with deer early on before you got your, you know, perimeter fence in? Because that changes a lot. Yeah, uh, we were really just pulling our hair out. At one point, we thought we wanted to, like, sell stuff at the farmer's market. So we got, I don't know, $50 worth of sweet potato starts and had a pretty decent crop of sweet potatoes going. But... Yeah, the deer just came in and devastated. That seems to be one of their favorite leafy greens. And uh, and we really didn't have a lot of money to put up a fence. And uh, so I had this kind of crazy idea of taking a uh, a motor and just making it, attaching it out in the garden so it just made constant noise. Uh, the first attempt was just to put a radio out there. I've heard that from other people. And that didn't work at all. Didn't even come close to working. But the, the 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 beginning of the project was basically like a uh, a barbecue rotisserie motor. You know how they go kind of slow. I basically attached an arm to it with a chain at the end of that arm that had a golf ball on it, and it would turn around slow. It would sort of hit a kind of a, a barrier and slow it down a little bit, and then it would keep going, and then it would have this like sudden bang and the golf ball I'd have like a, a piece of metal where the golf ball would hit and it would hit once or twice and it'd make this really unnatural metallic sound and it actually worked it, it kept them out of the garden and uh and we were we were excited because it was a low budget way of you know getting to eat our own food <clears throat> very cool um that's uh, that's that's a great idea we've been 
Uh, fighting them recently, right now, all we have in the ground is broccoli, and they like that. And I know what you mean with sweet potatoes, man. They they hammered my sweet potatoes this year. Um, what we did mm. is we've set up basically with some stakes, a fence around the bed that the broccoli's in, and then we strung fishing string uh, all around it, like uh-huh. almost like a fence. And it, it obviously they could get mm-hmm. in there, and then we tied a few ribbons on there because that creates a little movement. And the, it seems to be working, and the theory behind that type of thing is when they go into that, they can't see the fishing string, and it feels confining and off-putting. And it's worked for a week. We've kept them out for a week. We'll see if it continues to keep working. But this time of year, I have my other solution, and it involves a center-fire yeah. rifle. Um, <laughs> so yeah. they're not as bad yeah. in the winter. That's you know, one thing like, we started to I had one guy yeah. that, came, that emailed got, me. I had one guy he emailed me and he said, "I don't think my garden's working. I I, I shot eight deer over it last year and and I got hardly any food out of it." I'm like, "You have a deer garden? <laughs> you have a garden that grows deer? You know? That's a lot of venison. Yeah. Yeah. If you live in the right kind of state where you can shoot that many, you kind of can have a point of return at some point." Yeah, we we actually got a special permit last year from the game warden to uh to shoot some that out of season and my wife she she got into it just out of vengeance, you know. <laughs> I mean, really she hadn't fired a rifle ever before, right? And I bought this uh 40 caliber carbine high point and I took her out. We practiced. I, she must have. I, I think it was somewhere between seven and ten shots. I mean, quite an amateur. But she got up the day, the morning of deer season, and within like I was still asleep. It was like seven a.m. She came, woke me up, said, "I killed a deer. You know, we got to come and haul it in and eat it." And uh, and that was a couple years ago. So now we sort of have this. Uh, I call it a competition. She doesn't call it a competition. She's killed three, and I've only killed one. And uh, we just love venison. That's what <laughs> that's, that's why she calls it a comp. That's why she calls it a competition, and you don't. She's winning. <laughs> exactly. And her, her, you know, I, I was sitting one morning. I was just looking out my window, you know, having my little morning routine, and. Boom! I hear the shot, and she dropped one right in the garden, and it was such a beautiful kill. I mean, my—I was really just—I had to like. I guess I need to get better marksmanship, but it was like one shot. It fell, and there was no pain. And uh, yeah, she's kind of just a natural at it, but you wouldn't know it to look at her. You know, she's a peace-loving person. Well, it's interesting. Your garden. It's interesting that you guys are using a, a forty carbine. Um, because I've always stated that when you look at the way that round performs out of a, of a, a rifle length barrel, that it's it's you know moving along not at 40 Smith and Wesson but really 10 millimeter uh, speeds. And I've always postulated that it would yeah. be an adequate deer round, and apparently she's proven it. Yeah, a, a friend of mine he was sort of aghast when I told him I didn't have a rifle. You know, he said, well. You could. This will double as home protection, you know. And he he sold it to me because it was uh, it was about four years ago, right after the election, and uh, firearms got to be really almost scarce. Like I I wanted to buy one from the manufacturer, just like he had, because he said this would be a good starter gun. I tried, called High Point, called the dealers around here. They just they were all sold out, and they didn't know when they were going to get any more. So uh, that's sort of how we just lucked into the carbine. Lately, I have been thinking of upgrading her to a more proper deer rifle, but I don't know. I mean, it's hard to – you don't really want to fix something that's not broken, but, you know, at the same yeah. time, I think she could probably benefit by a little bit more range and a scope maybe. But Yeah, a nice little 243 or something would be, you know, uh, really good. Yeah, uh, but you, yeah I think somebody was recommending that, yeah. yeah. But you guys, uh, you guys have taken this homesteading thing to like a little bit of a different level. You've set up what you guys are calling uh, a micro business. What, what prompted you to do that? And you know, what is this micro business thing all about? Okay, yeah. What prompted me with the micro business was uh, one of the one of the limited employment opportunities in this area of Appalachia's uh, substitute teacher. I tried that for a while and. Uh, it was very humbling because they only pay $50 a day and half the time they only want you to come in for half a day. So it's like just $25 to, you know, basically be a security guard for these, you know, 
less than well-behaved children. I'll just say that, that at that. And uh, I was like, I have to find a better way to make money, you know. So uh, my wife read this Timothy Ferris book. I think it was called The Four-Hour Workweek. And uh, she just, like, absorbed a bunch of it. I didn't even read it. She just, like, kept telling me all the tidbits along the way. And, and it just clicked to me after about she was halfway through that book. I was like, hey, we should try a product. How about, you know, that chicken waterer solution we have? Maybe other other backyard chicken keepers might, you know, be interested in this because it's just basically we, we took some kind of uh, an industrial, the way the big chicken farms get water to their chickens and, you know, just brought it to our backyard. And, and that was the beginning of it. <clears throat> Very cool, and and uh, let me just say on the the four hour work week that was a, that was a great book, and I read it, and I was probably you know back when I was still in the corporate grind, and I had people working for me, I was probably the only business owner in America crazy enough to actually give copies of that book to my employees, um, and uh, wow. some did and some didn't use it, but. Uh, I mean, and the one guy comes to me and he goes, you know, about the outsourcing stuff and said, well, so if I outsourced my job, I, I don't care what you do as long as your job gets done, you know. Anyway, um, but but how, how this, how's this thing going for you? So you're doing this chicken water thing. Tell us about that. And, you know, have you been able to get that thing kind of off the ground as a business? We have, yes. Uh, we call it the Avian Aquamizer, and we sell it at avianaquamizer.com. And it's been going strong for uh, about four years now. And it was uh, a little slow the first year, but we really have some um, low cost here. You know, we just live in a trailer. We don't have a mortgage. Uh, that was mainly what allowed us to, like, nurse it along until it turned into something that it's making some real money now. And uh, I think uh, the, 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 the main machine behind it is Google Ads. That's how we do all our advertising, and Google Ads kind of gives you this uh, freedom to, like, know exactly where your money's going. And, like, I think somewhere in the Timothy Ferris book it says, and probably other places, that you really don't want to be spending more than 10% of your, you know, product price on advertising. So it really allows you to fine-tune it and not let you spend too much, you know. And then if you don't, if you're not spending enough, you can just bump it up a little bit more and, uh that, that I, I credit that for the main success, plus the internet and and the, the booming chicken you know renaissance that's going through America. It seems like more people are getting turned on to chickens, but it could be my imagination. I know I definitely would agree with you on that. Um, uh, Backwoods Home just brought their December edition of their magazine out, and the cover says "Bok Bok Bok" the chicken edition. So it's uh, it's like a whole edition uh, uh, dedicated to chickens. Um, and then they have an article in there about me, so I don't know what they're trying to say, but uh, <laughs> I'm in the chicken <laughs> But But your product is really cool. You can, I mean, people can go to avianaquamizer.com, and I will put a link in the show notes today. But can you just kind of describe to people how it works and what advantages it provides? Sure, yeah. It all started, you know, um, my wife, we kind of split up the chicken chores, She's more of a morning person, so she would do the uh, morning routine, and I would do the evening routine. And one morning I heard her, like, using some foul language, you know, those old gravity-style feeders. She accidentally spilled some poopy water onto her feet, you know, and she wasn't too happy about that. And I was like, wow, i got to do something about this. So I tried a couple different versions and came up with, well, I just, like, finally did a Google search to figure out what the uh, big Frank Purdue people were doing. And they basically use this product called a chicken nipple, poultry nipple, which is basically a stainless steel kind of nipple that the chickens tap at, and it just releases a few drops of water at a time. So the chickens, they, they get exactly the water they need, but it's always clean, always clean. So what we sell is uh, the do-it-yourself kits are most popular, depending on how many chickens you have. The, the best way some, sometimes is just to transfer to you know use a old five gallon bucket and install the the chicken nipple in the bottom there and we sell the the drill bit that you need you know you want to get the exact drill bit size but it's really not that complicated and then for people that don't have any do-it-yourself skills we sell pre-made units which consist of like a it's a half gallon plastic pitcher with the nipple in the bottom and a hanger 
where you can hang it or, you know, some people make a little stand that you can set it in, you know, like a piece of plywood with a hole in it that it sits in nicely. But that's that's basically what the product is. Well, and it's very cool because, and I think, you know, one of the big things you hit on is it's not just about making sure that there's water available to your chickens. What's the further south you go, the bigger the risk of them killing over and dying in the summer is if they're without water for even a brief period of time. Um, but yeah. it keeps things clean. You know, that's a yeah. huge thing to me because yeah. they can't mess it up. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that, and to me, you know, it's a, a psychological boost for the chicken keeper, too, because you walk past your chicken cage, and even if you replace the water that morning in one of those old-style feeders, there's there's a little dust in there, there's all kinds of things in there, and you just can't help but to think, well, I wouldn't want to drink that, you know, and maybe the chickens have a little bit more tolerance, but they will stop drinking it after a point when it gets too dirty. And like you said, they just kill over. That happened to us our first summer, and... Well, I'm ashamed to say we didn't eat the chickens, you know, because we didn't know, like, if it would be proper or not. But uh, nowadays, you know, we're, yeah. we're a little bit more tuned into it. <laughs> I got you. Um, and how much time a week do you think you spend on your micro business? Are you doing the real four-hour work week or, or, or what? It is pretty close to the four-hour work week. Uh, we have pretty good routine where on... Mondays, my wife, she, she puts together the do-it-yourself kits, and I do the uh, pre-made units. And we were spending, you know, a couple hours on that, but luckily I, I hired somebody this past summer to kind of pre-drill some of my pictures, and and now I think we're maybe a little under that four-hour mark. I, 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 I really don't count going to the post office that much because I usually have to go to town a couple times a week anyway, but... Yeah, I usually have to spend maybe 20 minutes at the post office having, you know, the lady scan all my stuff in and pay her. But, yeah, I would say we're probably somewhere between, depending on the load, it slows down in the winter. But I would say it's probably more closer to three hours a week now. That's very cool. I'll tell you what's cool to me. Um, you know, we talk a lot about homesteading and stuff like that here and, and occasionally some stuff on the business side. And as someone that's worked in, in Internet marketing for a very long time, someone that's tried to help people get business started, someone that's recommended books like The 4-Hour Work Week, and I've done it over and over again, I always am really happy when I see someone that doesn't just read something like that. They actually do it um, and, and prove that it's yeah. actually possible and that it does work if you're innovative and you're creative because you know you guys have come up with a really cool niche. Um, and you've done a good job of marketing it. You haven't had to go to some Madison Avenue firm to get it marketed or something like that. And you've managed to, you know, you supplement your way of life. It sounds like a fairly good deal by doing this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely paying the bills. We don't owe anybody anymore. And, you know, we got a little surplus. So what more could you ask for? And what's what's your homestead like? I mean, how much land are you guys working, and what are some of the things that you're doing there with it? All right. Well, we've got a, a place that's a total of 58 acres, but a lot of it is hillside. And uh, I would call it an ugly duckling property. Like, a lot of people <laughs> probably wouldn't be attracted to it because... We can't actually park our cars near our house, like our trailer. We've got to, like, it's about a 10-minute hike to where we park our cars. We have to cross the creek, and then we're back to, you know, our barn and our trailer. And I'd say we have, you know, a good three or four acres now that we have to grow with, and we're expanding out into something we're calling chicken pastures, which uh just basically, you know, a small paddock where we can let our chickens run wild and then switch them to another one and, you know, plant some stuff in that area so that the chickens will like and, you know, it will improve the soil and that kind of thing. And, uh, and yeah, we, we grow all our own produce. We're still working our way up to fruit. Like we, I spend probably most of our grocery money getting stuff like apples and oranges, but, uh, We've got apple trees on the way. It's just uh, I wish we would have read that Lee Reich book from the beginning because I think we made some beginner mistakes. Maybe we would have apples by now if I'd known about his book back then. But um, we uh, 
we haven't really got into many livestock animals beyond chickens because uh, we're a little paranoid about like goats getting out and getting into the garden and uh, we're considering pigs but we just need to keep working on our pastures right now so I'd say we're we're going into more directions every day seems like well that's cool that you're you're kind of getting things ready before you bring in more livestock because I can tell you tons of people want to live the homestead dream. They get that acreage, they move out there, and then they go crazy, and they get pigs and goats and sheep and miniature cattle and whatever, and oh, yeah. a year later they're trying to find homes for all the ones they don't want to slaughter because they realize they just can't do yeah. it that quickly. Right. Yeah, it's it's just, it's tough to get your mind around. I remember when we got started with chickens, I made this like statement. I was like, I reserve the right to, you know, not be ready to kill a chicken if I'm not ready, you know. It's like I'm yeah. still a cut part city guy here, you know, and it really, uh, it took a while to get my head around that, and I'm still kind of astonished that even, like, crunchy people, when I tell them that I kill my own chickens, I, I sometimes get a leer or a scowl like I'm a monster or something. Nobody actually says that, you know, but... Yeah. It's uh, it's a disconnect. It is. I'm sure you probably know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. The guy that'll look at you sideways because you say you kill your own chickens will be sitting there eating a chicken nugget while he's, you know, and you're thinking that thing is processed beyond belief and came out of, you know, I call the modern chicken house the way they run those things is a chicken house of horrors. I mean, it's uh yeah. Yeah, I'm not trying to make a chicken equivalent to a little boy or a little girl or something in the way they need to be treated, but it is an animal and it's due some level of respect. And the factory production that doesn't give them any respect for being a life form. They're treated no differently than you might, you know, treat a plant. You know, you, you gotta keep it alive yeah. but you really don't care about how it feels. Right, just a product and a profit for them, yeah. So, um, I guess what was what was the big motivation in becoming like a full time homesteader? Why was that something like you guys set as a goal? Uh, I guess uh, it, like it, it it was just something that was instilled in my wife. She grew up on a farm, but they her her parents had to move to the city because it just wasn't working, and she wanted to move back ever since. So it sort of started with her. And I was also slowly starting to come to uh, a realization that junk food is not the best thing for me. I mean, I I remember when the Big Mac first came out. I remember billboards. I man, I used to live on pizza and junk food, and I just knew it was incompatible. I you know getting older and. And really just, you know, uh, a few days or a week of eating proper food, I just had this, like, increased mental clarity and focus. And I said, hey, why didn't somebody tell me about this before? Because uh, it's like leafy greens, leafy greens. <laughs> it's my new favorite thing. And the only way to get the really fresh stuff is to just grow it yourself. I mean, even if we had a farmer's market right next door, how can you trust that everybody, they are growing their stuff properly? And, and even if they do, by the, every minute past when you cut, you know, certain vegetables, you lose a little bit of vitality and uh, just feels like the only way to get what we want is to do it ourselves. So that's the main motivation. I think more and more people are feeling that way that, you know, there is a, a, a point at which if you want to be able to be healthy and take control that at least some portion of what you uh what you're consuming you have to take some direct control over we can only do so much by buying or you know organic produce or even locally grown produce and i i find locally grown as long as it's not grown with pesticides or something to be even better than just yeah. you know, saying organic but it's like you can only do so much with that and when you start actually producing things the connections there, and you can eat a lot more of what's right for you. Yeah, right. Yeah, and you can experiment better with stuff, you know, and find, you know, what else is good for you you didn't even know about. Yeah, and I think you start eating a lot of stuff that, you know, uh, you've never even heard of before because you get these things called seed catalogs. And you're like, I, I didn't know that yeah, all this right. stuff exists, especially when you start talking about greens, you know. I'm looking at some oriental vegetables and mm. stuff on your blog right now, and a lot of that stuff, you know, people that, you know, when I was a kid, 
in Pennsylvania, we grew our garden right up until about dove season in September. And that's, you'd get your first frost in and uh, somewhere in mid-September, and, and you were done with the garden. And you'd throw some mulch on it, and, you know, you'll start seeds in, in January or February for the next garden. And we went hunting and fishing, and we never touched that thing in the fall. And now that's like my favorite time of year to be growing stuff. And that, cause down, especially in the south, you know, that's when I can do my spinach, my pak choy, uh, all the oriental greens, the mm-hmm. mustards, all that stuff. And that stuff is amazingly good for you. Oh, yeah. 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 My parents were the same way. They didn't do any kind of winter garden. And we started doing these things called quick hoops. I forget who coined the term, but, uh, we're able to have leafy greens. It looks like it's going to happen all through the winter this year. You know, we're still getting quite a bumper crop, and uh, and I, I attributed that to the you know quick hoops. It's just you know a you know the PVC structure, kind of a dome with a, that some people call it cheesecloth. I think they call it tobacco cloth around here. You know, agri cloth. Is maybe I know what you mean. It's like the, ro- the stuff they make row covers out of. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that like that's something that gets overlooked by a lot of people, gardeners, homesteaders, etc., uh is the greens and they don't get how valuable that is not just nutritionally but financially. I mean, I was at a grocery store yesterday and they had, you know, a mountain of green peppers there for I think they were 49 cents a pepper. Right, and these were big peppers, like mm-hmm. the size of a softball. But go over and look at a little bag of salad greens. Right, they'll sell a little salad, especially especially yeah. if it's organic. They'll sell that four, five, six bucks for one little bag of greens. I wasn't aware of that, huh? Because you don't buy it; <laughs> you grow your own. It's, I mean, it is one of the best returns yeah. of investments there is when you start looking when you start looking at like gourmet mixes of all this stuff it's a great return of investment cuz you know what's a package of mixed lettuce seed cost you 2 bucks i know yeah right yeah good profit there yeah so um how valuable has been keeping a blog to your homestead and your business i uh, i would say it's it's key to being to, I mentioned the Google Ads before. One big advantage of having a blog and a business is that you can you talk about stuff that you like, but at the same time, if you like properly tag your photos and you uh, you sort of try to put some relevant information in that maybe other people can use, it put, moves you up in the Google rankings. I don't know. I don't really understand the algorithm, but we just tried to put the best content we can out there. And before we knew it, it's like we were only doing the blog for maybe a year or so, and we started noticing, hey, like uh, we're like towards the top of the list when you do a search for automatic chicken, you know, and that's that's the the main genesis of it. But really, it's also therapeutic for us like we like to you know stay in touch with our family and friends and this is a good way of doing that so i would say first and foremost that's probably was the motivation to begin with but i remember listening to uh, some npr article segment you know and they were talking about how blogging was getting to be big and how this one guy he was making you know he said you can make uh, 20 30,000 a year blogging and I thought, well, that could be a heck of a lot better than substitute teaching. Why don't we try it? Like my wife was keeping a live journal account at the time, and I sort of floated the idea to her, and she's like, yeah, let's give it a try. And uh, and I credit her to the the actual machine of the blog because it seems like a really simple uh, kind of web thing that you would, you know, just put some pictures and stuff on it, but we we found it a bit challenging to get the the proper like uh software because sure you can go and you can use something like blogspot and that's easy and free and you can embed that into your own site but it it adds in this middleman like what if their stuff goes down and what if and and really I don't think you get the same like google advantage by piggybacking on somebody like blogspot no offense to them I'm sure it's a fine product but what we ended up doing is my uh, my wife's brother. He's sort of a 
one of these Linux people. He's very well established there, and he was already working on a product for some other client that somebody that wanted just what we wanted—a really simple blogging platform. So he he joined up with some other friend of his, and they started something called Branchables, and it's an open source kind of Linux community, and uh, that's where we do the bulk of our blogging there. And it's really it's 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 worked out good so far. Well, and I, I mean, I'm looking at it, and you have a lot of really great content, and that's a huge thing with building an online reputation because, you know, it's all about getting people to link to you, and when you put out good stuff every day, people link to you. Like, I'm looking right now on uh, your blog at, at some work you guys are doing, uh, some work with high-density Apple planning, but also, like, you say you're kind of hedging your bet here, and you guys are planning – uh, you know, larger rootstock varieties of apples, but then maintaining them at, at smaller sizes. It's almost like giant bonsai. And, and that's real creative, and you don't just see yeah. that every day on somebody's blog. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Yeah, that, that particular uh, episode started, like, my wife is an apple snob. She will only eat certain kinds of apples. Her favorite <laughs> is wine sap. And they're hard to find, you know, and they're only around for a certain time of year. And me, I'm not as picky. I will try, like, I used to like Red Delicious, and now I'm a little bit more refined taste when it comes to that. But I still kept thinking that there's a store-bought apple I could get in the meantime to tide me over. So I was trying all these different ones, and she would just kind of laugh when I would, you know, sort of not like them. But I came across one this summer called Z-Star, and she looked them up, and they're grown out of this uh, Fowler Farm, I think, New York. But not right there on their website, they, the, the, they show, like, the way they grow the Z-Star apples is this high-density method. And it sounded too good to be true, really, that you could expect fruit within the first two or three years. But uh, we're hoping to, uh, to prove it right. We'll see. I think we need to really get on top of uh, irrigation in the spring. That's one thing that we haven't done in the past. It's like... We have a pretty good rainfall here, but every now and then you'll have a dry spell, and it's like I guess the the fruit trees sometimes miss out on care and love, and uh, we're gonna try to not make that same mistake again. Now another post I saw, and I, you know, because I'm listening to you, I didn't actually read it, so I don't know how it worked out for you. But you guys were working on rooting uh, figs. How, how'd that work out for you? Because I guess yeah. you're basically using your trees to propagate more trees, basically cloning. Right. Yeah, well, uh, the way we had so much mulch piled around the bottom of this one particular fig, it's a Chicago hardy fig. Uh, when my wife went to do the trimming maybe a month ago or so, she noticed that all she had to do is pull a couple of them up, and they already had roots that were starting on their own. So we, we started those, so we'll find out about those. I think we gave those to a couple friends, and w I don't know if we're keeping the temperature right. Like we took the other cuttings that we took and we're trying to like keep them in a Ziploc bag at, you know, room temperature. We've actually got them on a little heating pad to, because sometimes our trailer gets a little cold at night. But that's still kind of an experiment in progress. I guess we'll know maybe uh, in the spring if we're able to put any of those on the ground, if they look like, you know, decent enough to try to plant somewhere. But Figs were a totally new thing for me. Uh, I loved them, you know, the way they roasted up. Uh, and we said, I just said we need to get more figs because we just didn't get enough figs. Yeah, I mean, if you can get that whole rooting thing going, that can actually become like another micro business because now you're propagating trees. And trees, if you, you know, yeah. part of why you're doing this is you're, you know, probably painfully aware that you don't just show up and get them for free. They, they people want money for them. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, that took, could totally be a micro-business, I'm with you, like, before we started the chicken business, we were doing something where, like, we started out selling daffodil bulbs, and it's surprising how much money you can make, and it's so easy to, you know, just put some daffodil bulbs in a box, you know, we were selling on eBay back then, but, um, yeah, we tried different things, like, hey, we got other stuff, you know, right in our little backyard forest that we could sell, and we were... We were actually selling uh, cattails to people in Los Angeles who had koi ponds and several different things like that. But it, it, I fear that it would probably be around the same hourly income as the uh, farmer's market crowd, you know, where 
it, it's almost like a lot of people, in my opinion, do that just for the love of being there and growing and being part of that environment. But I've got a friend who does it, and I keep bugging him to keep track of his time. But I, I'm pretty sure he's making somewhere between five and ten bucks an hour, if that, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. That's just. It's hard to have a four-hour well, work sure week. Some if people you're... are able to. Yeah. It's hard to have a four-hour work week if you're making ten bucks an hour. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is, especially in today's climate. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I mean, you've got tons of great content on your blog. I'm, you know, I've got you're doing some experiments with free ranging your birds. You, you're yeah, you know, ex- explaining how to do wing clipping. Uh, this is all great stuff that you know. Again, you just don't see it all the time. We're we're a bit obsessed about chickens, you know. It's like I remember seeing a documentary when I was a kid about how important the cow is to people in India. Like they use every part of the cow. They use the cow dung to cook with, the cow urine to, you know, uh, sterilize stuff with. And, you know, we don't use chicken urine, but we we compost the feathers. We Chicken broth is one of our favorite things, you know, because our chickens have a pretty healthy lifestyle they get plenty of bugs and greens and that broth just looks different than the broth you can buy in the store and i got to know like in the cells of my body that it's got to be healthier for me you know just on a logical thing oh there's there's no doubt and i know exactly what you mean if you if you take a supermarket chicken out of the packaging there's a stink to it that's just not there with a fresh bird yeah it just isn't and and that right. can't be good. We can talk about what it is or isn't, but we know when you smell stink on food, that's unless it's cabbage, it's not good. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think really our bodies are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. You know, I would even say we've got we're walking around with a quantum computer. We don't know how to operate, and I would say smells are key into guiding your diet. Yeah, definitely. So what is your thoughts for people that kind of want to get started either with their own little micro business or just as homesteaders? Or would you say kind of like they really go together because it enables the lifestyle, but where do they kind of start out at? Well, that's a good question because uh, I sort of try to like evangelize the uh, micro business thing to a couple friends that I thought could, you know, be better off doing this and I've sort of run into quite a lot of resistance and I've sort of come to this conclusion that you really sort of you have to come to a space in your mind that you're ready to say goodbye to the man you're ready to not to let go of that security of the day-to-day paycheck and you know being a soldier in the army and being your own kind of general you know I think that's a philosophical uh place that people have to move to otherwise it's a waste of time if you're trying to like do it half effort and it could be more worse than a waste of time because it could discourage you from trying it in the future so uh i think there has to be some type of uh attitude change to begin with but as far as getting started with homesteading that's uh that's a little bit about what my wife's first book is about, which came out just recently called The Weekend Homesteader. She started writing a series of e-books just sort of trying to walk people through, like if they were in a situation where they had a 9-to-5 job, they're working 40, 50 hours a week, what kinds of simple projects can you do on the weekend that could get you started? And, you know, they're kind of tailored for each month of the year. She did 12 of those. And uh, Skyhorse Publishing contacted her and said, hey, you should make this into a book, you know. So she worked over on that for the past year, and it came out last month. And, uh, yeah, maybe that could be helpful for some people. But uh, as far as, like, trying to, like, tell my friends that it's really worth it to grow your own leafy greens, I almost feel like I'm talking to a wall sometimes. Because <laughs> maybe they're, just thinking, they're like, it's lettuce. You know, they're just thinking it's lettuce. I can get it for 89 cents a head. And I don't think most people get what you're really talking about. 
That's it. That's it. So I really sort of stopped talking about it unless somebody shows an interest or I, you know, because it's 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 a little draining for me when I express a passion about something and, you know, I just sort of, it feels like it's falling on dead ears. It's not always like that, but uh, yeah, that that might be my own kind of issues around the subject. I mean, I know that it's like sometimes you almost have to feed people for them to get it. I, I had a one friend that like never understood why I grew broccoli in, in the fall. He's like, it's so cheap and it, you get ahead of it for a, a buck. And, you know, and he didn't even understand. Like I saw on your blog, you were talking about cutting the side sheets and all. And I had, you know, 40 plants out there and it's staggered so they're not all coming to their full heads at the same time. And I had him come over and I just said, let me go out. And, you know, it's like it's like 30 degrees outside. So it's cold. And that's when that stuff's just awesome and whack ahead and, and just saute yeah. it in a walk in a, in a couple couple minutes and said, now eat that. And he's like, I've never yeah. eaten broccoli. It tasted like that. And I think that that's, I think that like a lot of the people that I have in our family and all that are kind of like hesitant with it, it's things like you hand them a pepper off a plant and go eat it. And they go, what? You go, yeah. eat it. And they're like, but don't I have to take it inside? No, it's it's never been a, there's never been a chemical on that. It's not dirty. You can look at it and see it's not rolling around in the dirt. Not that the dirt would probably hurt you. Just eat it. And they, that is already like a switch right. thing. And then when they bite into it, they're like, holy crap, there's flavor there. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a whole world they didn't even know existed. But I would dare say that some people, are, are their taste buds are just so damaged that they need some sort of like rehabilitation, like at least a week off the, the heavy fast foods or something. And because, yeah, I presented uh, like Brussels sprouts. We grew Brussels sprouts for the first time this year, and we saved some up and had them for Thanksgiving. And I, I was a little surprised that nobody was gaga over them like I was. You know, we sautéed them just like you're talking with the broccoli, and it just gave it this magical texture. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that there's a certain education you have to give your palate, your taste buds, and I think. There really has to be some education about cooking too, because if you like the the way people traditionally cook green beans in the south here in Appalachia, they just cook them to death. That's the way I grew up. My mom would grow green beans, and I would help her, you know, take the strings off and stuff, and then she would just cook all the vitality and taste out of them. And uh, yeah, I can see why nobody would be all that interested in growing beans next year. You know, you get that taste in a, in a can, you know. I, I don't know if that's with some people's parents and grandparents an old world thing or something when they had to worry more about the the, the, the safety of food. Because, like, my grandmother, who was from the Ukraine, was that way. And she would make these roast beefs, you know, every Sunday for Sunday dinner. We would have something big, and one, one once in a while would be a roast beef. And I, until I was about eight or nine years old, I thought there was a roast beef and a beef roast because one grandmother called it one thing and one called the other. I didn't know it was the same thing because mm -hmm. the, the Ukrainian grandmother would cook this stuff so you could pick it up and squeeze it and it would fall apart. Uh, it is like dry, and if you put gravy on it, it would like suck the gravy up. And my other grandmother made this wonderful stuff yeah, called yeah. roast beef that was all pink and juicy. And when I found out the truth, what I started doing on Sunday mornings is I would go in a couple hours into her cooking the, the, the roast beef, and I would cut the end off it and put it in foil. And then when everybody else sat at the table grumbling and all, I'd be sitting there with this pink piece of roast beef. <laughs> it's like, where'd you get that? Don't mm. worry about it, you know? And nobody wanted to say that because nobody wanted to hurt her feelings, but I think there's a lot of people from that generation that they just cook the crap out of everything. And some things that works well. You make chicken broth, right? You're going to cook that for a long time to get all that goodness out of there. But if you're grilling a piece of chicken, yeah. there's a point where if you don't stop, it's not chicken anymore. It's not good anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I'd say that that would be a key ingredient. Yeah. Yeah. Green stuff that you cook, folks, if it goes from green to pale green, you've overcooked it. It should have that bright color to it, you know? Mm, I agree. So um, I want if we can talk about maybe one more of your projects, and then we'll wrap up here, because I think this is cool. You guys built a root cellar out of an old refrigerator. I've heard people talk about that before, but you guys did it. How did that work mm. out? It's working out pretty good. Uh, at the beginning, we didn't really uh, secure it too well, and it got eroded out, washed away. But 
like I'd first read the idea, I forget what form it was on, but somebody was burying it just in a hole right in the ground. And that looked that looked hard to me to get down on your hands and knees and reach down in it. And I said, well, maybe we could try it, you know, more uh, vertically. And we ended up, you could probably tell with the picture on the blog that it, it's leaned back considerably. And then we secured it with some uh, mobile home dirt anchors that's kind of screwed into the ground and then attached a wire to it that way. And we're storing our carrots. We had quite a big bumper crop of carrots. We're eating more carrots than ever before. And uh, we got some potatoes in there. And it is working good. There for a while, I really, we were monitoring the temperature. We had a digital thermometer in there that lets you know the highs and lows. And I'd say we got somewhere, the coldest it got outside was around 18 or 15, but inside it was getting close to freezing. Like I think it registered 34 at one point. So we didn't want to risk it getting any below that. So we added something called a thermo cube, which is this little plug where you whatever you plug into it will get turned on when the temperature reaches 34 degrees and then it'll shut it off at 45 degrees so we've just got a, a light bulb plugged into it for now so if the temperature does dip you know close to freezing that a, that should you know keep it warm and that's uh, exactly what i have in my well we might that's exactly what i have in my well oh, house really? Yeah, to keep the well pump from freezing up, you know, case. Well, I'm down south, but we do get some. We had last year, we got a couple of days where like seven degrees, you know, and you can you can freeze up a well pump with that if you're not careful. But that's yeah, the yeah, exact yeah, same setup we used. Yeah, a light bulb in a yeah. in a in a basically a little thermostat. So, what about the converse? Like, how 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 well does this do at keeping things cool as you get into the warmer periods of time? Well, I guess we're going to find that out this summer because we just got it back going a couple months ago. Uh, we didn't really have a need to do it the previous year because we didn't really grow as many carrots, and we were able to just store them in our crisper drawer in the refrigerator. But, uh, yeah, so tune back into the blog. Uh, we, we'll give uh, updates on it in the spring and summer just to let you know if it's uh, keeping things cool. Well, um, that, that's that's awesome, and I'm going to make sure I have links to all these little projects we talked about. Your main blog, your 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 uh, your, uh, your site for the chicken water product is is all all as well. But you just mentioned uh, briefly uh, in the past year that your wife had released a new book called The Weekend Homesteader, and you had told me before we got started today that maybe you guys would like to maybe give one of those away to an audience member. So you want to tell folks a little bit about that book, and then I'll tell them how they can win one. Okay, sure. Yeah, uh, like I was saying earlier, got started with my wife doing these uh, ebook projects. She was selling them herself on Amazon, and uh, Skyhorse Publishing contacted her, and she was a little leery at first because she's not interested in, in going on a book tour or anything like that. So she just told them straight up. I said, uh, "I'm kind of a hermit, so you probably don't want me." And they said, "No, no, no. We got other authors like that. We'll 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 give you a try." And uh, it was really a good experience that the uh, publisher did a good job, and they sent us a, a box of books, so we're trying to, like, spread the word around. And uh, like I said earlier, the title's Weekend Homesteader. It's targeted towards people who who live a busy lifestyle but want to kind of dip their toe into the water a little bit. And it's it's it, it might be a little too basic for somebody who's um, who's been into gardening for a while, but uh, there's there's a lot in there that I think people could take from, especially if they're just getting started with this. And, uh, yeah, so if anybody's interested, we'll, maybe, we'll, like you said, you were going to direct them to one of yeah. our links or something, and if they send a message, we'll just draw uh, one of the winners and ship it out to you, you know. That, 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 that's how we'll do that. We'll do it like I always do my contest. Here's what I'm going to want you guys to do, folks. I want to... Uh, to help uh, to help Mark uh, out here because he's came on the show and, and done such a good job for us. So I want to make sure we get traffic over to his site. So you guys can email me to enter the contest, and I'll pick a winner and send it over to Mark, and, and they'll get the book out to you. 
here's what, here's what you want to do. You want to send an email to me, jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Include your name and your shipping address because sometimes a person wins a contest like this without a shipping address and due to spam filtering or something, I never hear back from them and we have to give it to somebody else. It's better if it's just yeah. there. Don't worry. I will delete everybody's yep. email and address after I pick a winner. Um, I'll pick a winner with a random mm-hmm. number generator the way I usually do. And what you guys want to do is get on over to WaldenEffect.org. If you're not sure, it's W-A-L-D-E-N-E-F-F-E-C-T.org. I'll also have a link in the show notes. Click on the About Us page. Go to the second paragraph, and you'll see it's talking about the book. And it says, do out something, something, something. Whatever the last word or number is in that paragraph, right before the period, put that in the subject line. That'll go into a special folder. 48 hours after this show airs, I'll draw a winner and we'll get the book out to you. And, hey, Mark, thanks for being willing to, you know, give away uh, a copy of that book. That's great. And for folks that don't win, you guys really might want to check it out because, again, the the stuff I see on, on Mark's blog is just absolutely awesome stuff that you just don't see everywhere else. Um, so make sure you subscribe to his blog and, and maybe, you know, uh, Pick up one of his chicken waters, because I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Mark. Uh, once we're about to relocate to our new homestead, and once we get settled, I am going to definitely give you some business on the chicken water, because uh, it, I can tell right away that it'll make uh, everything a lot easier to manage. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll hook you up. Uh, yeah, definitely. How All right. How many chickens do you think you'll have? Uh, we're probably going to start out with a smaller flock, just uh, an egg flock, we might do some broilers the first year. I don't know. I've got a ton of stuff that we need to get done on an earthworks level. We actually have uh, a seminar coming up. We're going to be bring, bringing Jeff Lawton from the Permaculture Institute in from Australia. Uh, so my first thing is going to be swaling and ponds and things like that. So until that's done, we're going to hang fire. We're probably going to do that in March. So we'll probably start off with a with a small egg flock. And we're going to be doing um, we're going to be doing quail as well as well, and uh, that may be okay. actually a good use of this product too. I never really thought of it, but absolutely, it is. yeah, ducks, all kinds of poultry, yeah, yeah, ducks, turkeys, they, they all take to it. Yeah, very cool. Well, and thanks for being on the show with us. This has been a great interview. Um, and what I love about having people on like yourself is you're talking to people that are actually not just in theory, but in practice. You guys are doing this, and I think that's why you have so much great content. And uh, thanks for being with us today. Well, thanks for talking with me. It was good talking to you, and uh, good luck in your future homestead there. All right, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Mark Hamilton, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. There's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess And we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way
redemption is 